Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Vermont Trail Chatter. As you probably noticed, this is not Greg from the Catamount Trail Association, but this is Robbie from Mountain Ops. Greg has unfortunately moved on from the CTA onto different adventures in life, and we wish him the best of luck, and hopefully he'll join us for a couple of these episodes along the way. But he has passed on the baton to Dave and I here at the shop, and hopefully we can do it justice for him and keep the stoke alive. Now, we are going to keep the genre of the podcast the same as Greg wanted, but we're also going to put our own little spin on it as well. And so we're going to be talking about some shop stuff and the perspective of that. And so we'll be talking about some boot work, some ski tuning, some mounting, some ski reviews, all that type of stuff. So like I said, we're going to put our own little spin on it as well. Uh, But today we have a great episode for you and we are going to be talking to the Senior Director of Mountain Operations at Stowe Resort, Scott Reeves, and we'll be going over how he got into the industry, how long he's been there, what it takes to to do his job, Um, and of course us being Mountain Ops and Uphill Uh, oriented shop. We will be talking about the uphill policy at Stowe and what that's going to look like, um, the do's and the don'ts of the uphill policy, and yeah, diving into what it's going to look like in the future potentially. But thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the episode and yeah, we'll see you soon. Welcome to another edition of Trail Chatter brought to you by Mountain Ops here in Stowe. Alongside me is Robbie, I'm Dave, and we have a very special guest uh, that we are speaking with this morning. We have Scott Reeves from Stone Mountain Resort. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. How are you? Great. Great morning. All right. It is a great morning. We see that uh, you've been blowing snow here this week. Uh, Very exciting to see. And uh, I know as we look towards opening day in the coming weeks... uh, Everyone's starting to get excited. We got some flakes flying the other day in town for the first time. Uh, So winter is almost here and we all couldn't be happier. Uh, Before we get started, Scott, let's learn a little bit more about you personally uh, and your background. Um, Why don't you let us know your title at the mountain uh, and what that entails for starters? Sure. Uh, I'm the senior director of mountain operations and It's really all the on-hill operations that I oversee, so snowmaking, grooming, um, patrol, lift operations, and maintenance. Um, So, you know, every activity that you see on snow uh, really falls within my uh, jurisdiction or my my point of view. (laughs) Okay. And how long have you been at Stone Mountain Resort for, Scott? Uh, This will be my 17th year uh, serving in this role. That's great. Okay. Uh, Why don't you give us a little bit of background, Scott, as far as how you got started in the ski industry, uh, where you've worked in the past, and uh, just give us a little rundown of your of your experience. Sure. Um, You know, mine's an interesting uh, tale in that I came from a skiing family. My father was in the ski business uh, for 40 years. He was a ski school director and ski instructor. So Naturally, as a kid growing up, uh, we were both my brother and I were encouraged to become skiers, uh, which was easy for us. 
Um, so really at the age of three, I started skiing. In fact, I used to always joke, I thought everybody went to a ski area on weekends as a kid. And I can count on probably one hand how many days I haven't been at a ski resort on the weekends. So uh, it was really a passion of mine. And when I uh, started to look at higher education and what I was going to do, I really wanted to try to do something in the ski business. So I was fortunate enough to get into a program at Linden State College, and it was a ski area management and commercial recreation degree. Uh, so I was, went to uh, Linden uh, for four years, and while at Linden, I joined the Burke Mountain Ski Patrol. And uh, so on weekends and my time off, I got the patrol there. And that really started my journey uh, in the ski business. And then uh, once graduating, uh, I went to Sugarbush and started as the shipping and receiving clerk. Seven years later, I was the vice president of mountain operations. Uh, luckily, I had a mentor at Sugarbush that took an interest in me and really guided my career. So I spent some time as a lift mechanic. I got into snowmaking. Uh, I served uh, time as a risk manager and an, and an administrator. And uh, basically within seven to eight years, I became the vice president of mountain ops there. And that's really where uh, I continued my journey. Uh, we were part of the American Ski Company at that time. So um, there was opportunities at other resorts and uh, an opening came up at Mount Snow. So I went to Mount Snow for six years. Uh, during that time, it was when they hosted the X Games for two years. So I had the privilege of not only uh, doing the mountain ops piece, but also uh, overseeing uh, the preparation and execution of the X Games along with ESPN. So it was a really great experience. Um, and then uh, I had a little stint at the Haystack Club uh, and, you know, I saw that that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And fortunate for me, an opening came at Stowe. And so 17 years ago, I joined the Stowe team and uh, it's been a great experience ever since. That's great. That is, that's tremendous. Um, Scott, you and I have known each other for a long time, going back to our days when we were living in the Mad River Valley and, and working for Sugarbush in the American Skiing Company. Um, things have certainly changed a lot since then in the industry in general. Um, what is the biggest difference that you see from running mountain operations back then uh, as compared to what you're doing now? Uh, you know, great question. Certainly there's been a lot of changes. Um, you know, I'd say some of the bigger changes are the technology and snowmaking and grooming. Um, you know, really the evolution of high efficient uh, snowmaking gear. And that's something that has really been a game changer for the industry because we really needed to look at how we were using our resources and our energy consumptions. And with this technology, uh, it's really allowed us to run more effectively and more efficiently. Uh, so that was a big change. You know, certainly the labor market has changed. Um, I'd say the passionate days of, a, of what you'd call, I guess, a ski bum that wants to work at a ski area. Uh, there's not a lot of those around. So it's really enticing people to want to work uh, in the ski business, uh, you know, because, it, you know, it's a lot of hands on. And I think a lot of times now, you know, the younger generation is looking for more technology type of uh, job. So we've certainly seen a change there uh, in the business. And without a doubt, you know, climate change. Uh, anybody that doesn't believe that there's climate change uh, is, uh, is mistaken themselves because we have seen weather patterns change 
uh, more efficiently or more effectively on the uh, start of the season and towards the end of the season. Certainly when you look at the days that we used to have in November that we are saying are uh, snowmaking days and temperature zones that you can be in there are starting to shrink. Uh, you know, we used to have probably about 18 days in November uh, that were really good for snowmaking. You know, I've seen those go down to as many as as least as 13 now, uh, sometimes only 10. So, and that's been a big impact on our early season start. Uh, and you know, that's been the last five years have been a struggle uh, early season for us. And and so you certainly see that um, because it, it is funny when you look at the change, it's been dramatic. So, you know, I encourage us to continue to look at ways to reduce fossil fuel use. And we've got to change this climate. Interesting. Uh, do, you, do you find that the challenge is, you know, we talk about, um, I know back in our sugar bush days, we would always... Uh, download over there um, to start the season. Um, we don't do that here at Stowe, which is obviously great because we're always skiing top to bottom from start from start to finish of the season. Um, what challenges do you see in that in particular going down low with the global warming to get the snowmaking going down there? Yeah, well, you know, that's when we have to look at what technologies are available. So if you look at Stowe, what we've done on a lot of areas in the base areas, we put fan gun technology and fan gun technology plays very well to higher temperatures. So we've tried to uh, develop that process. And I'd say the other thing, you know, the difference between Sugarbush and, and Stowe is really, you know, we have top to bottom lift service scheme. And I think that's what makes Stowe unique that you can get on a lift and get to the summit. You don't have to uh, go to another lift to get to the summit. Uh, but also that provides a little bit of a challenge that we don't have that opportunity where we can download people and just have summit skiing. Right. Sweet. Uh, Scott, I'm going to ask you a question as well. And uh, as you know, like us as a shop, we are a you know heavily human-powered ski shop. And so a lot of uphill travel, Nordic travel. Um, so that's, uh, that's what this one's going to be about, um, with uphill skiers potentially having to rely more and more on artificial snow in the future years, does Stowe Mountain Resort have a plan for potential increased uphill traffic and demand, um, just with that kind of gaining traction and not, not slowing down anytime soon, it seems like. Yeah, great question. You know, do, do we have a defined plan right now? I would say no. Are we open-minded to continue to look at how we develop the uphill program? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, and it is. It's a unique balance because we have to look at, you know, really with the uphill, especially after uh, dark, you know, we're trying to do a lot of maintenance on the hill. So it's a balance of how we get our maintenance done and provide an opportunity for the public to enjoy uphill. Uh, and so it's that balancing act that we always have to look at. And I think, you know, you look at our program right now, we're trying to serve both because we do have a job that we need to get done. When you look at the, the grooming operation, I, I, you know, I really don't think people can appreciate what happens after 4.30 uh, at any ski area. That's when a lot of the work gets done when we're making snow, when we're grooming. And, you know, it's right now our grooming department has two shifts, two eight hour shifts. So 16 hours worth of grooming 
uh, with eight machines out there, um, you know, when we have to negate some of that, it really hurts the amount of grooming that we can do. And so what we've tried to do is develop the program that we have today so that we can get a certain amount of grooming done first shift without impacting skier routes and then a certain amount of work to be done second shift again without impacting skier routes because the one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to mix the uphill and the grooming department together because that's just a recipe for disaster and at the end of the day it's all about safety so you know do we have a future plan right now i'd say it's not defined but we're always open to look at opportunities and what we can do there uh, and, you know, we understand that we have to pivot and change uh, as we move forward, but it has to be a balance so that we can get, you know, our work done and also serve the uphill community as well. Sure. Yeah. And I got to say, us as a shop, we do appreciate the uphill policy there. And, you know, compared to some other resorts, it's a really good policy, to be honest. The fact that we get a morning, afternoon, daytime and even sterling over on spruce peak like that's honestly pretty huge and so here at the shop we we do appreciate it and we'll send a we'll put a link to the uphill policy um in this podcast as well just to kind of let people you know see all those routes and times and all that stuff but yeah thank you all right oh, Scott, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we you talked a lot about safety which is first and foremost probably the most important thing when it comes to both your staff working uh and and the skiers going uphill. Talk to us a little bit, I guess, first about the negative impacts um, that you've seen Skinner's doing around the resort, uh, and then maybe talk about some of the positive things that come out of that as well. Yeah, great question, Dave. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks that are enjoying the mountain, they're following the policy, and it works. Then, unfortunately, we do have folks that aren't following the policy, and that's really where the rub is and the concern is. Um, ironically, I, we had our groomer orientation this morning, and I was speaking with the groomers, and we were talking about safety, and the first thing they talked about was Skinner's and their interaction with Skinner's. And when people don't follow the rules, uh, they go off the designated routes, is really where we get, uh, or we, where we have the rub. And, you know, there's there's stories out there where, uh, you know, our winch operators and what a lot of people don't understand is the winch cable is about 3000 feet long. So if they're winching on, let's say, lift line, um, they're well over the 13 pitch when they're at the bottom of the hill. So they can't see up above. And there's been stories where winch operators will get to the top and there's fresh ski tracks that went right over their winch cable. Now, that winch cable will bury itself in the ground, and it does move side to side. So the impact that an individual can have by skiing over that line and not understanding what that line is doing, and to know that the winch operator is 3,000 feet away, so he can't react or they can't react if there is something, and they can't even see the individual, um, you know, it, it really makes for a tense situation for those operators. And, you know, I've heard from Skinner say, well, you know, I'm willing to take the risk. Well, it's, it's not just about the Skinner because God forbid if something happens, it's about the psyche of the operator and put through that trauma of what they had to experience or what they did. And so that's really what we're trying to avoid. And so, you know, what we're really asking for people is if we can follow the rules 
And if we see um, good conduct out there, that's when maybe we will expand some of the terrain that we can offer. But right now, we have to get a handle on what we're doing and making sure that people are following those routes. And it's important. What your uphill route is, is what your downhill route has to be. Um, the other thing is, you know, the preservation of the groomed surface for the skiers and riders that want to enjoy it the next day. And, you know, there's a certain level of pride that our grooming department takes when they put the corduroy out and they want good wall-to-wall -wall corduroy, perfect lines. And, you know, when they've just finished a trail and it looks great and it's not a designated uphill route and yet 20 people have skied down it, um, you know, they get a little bit upset because they want people to see their work in the morning and they want people to enjoy it in the morning. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. You know, another point that I, I want you to expand upon a little bit, too, is we know that in early season, the demand is very high. And we talked about um, how Mother Nature hasn't exactly been cooperating with us early and late season and how many times when people are going to, to skin up the mountain, there is no snow anywhere but on the trails that you're blowing snow. And they tend to gravitate towards the snowmaking trails and want to skin up and ski down sometimes while your guys are out there in the field working. Talk to us about some of those dangers and, and, and what can happen as well. Yes, you know, certainly that's when we, we put the restriction in place because we don't want people on that terrain while we're working it. And, you know, there's a lot of hazards out there with, you know, when we're in snowmaking operation, you're looking at, you know, snowmaking hoses are laid on the ground. Sometimes they get buried uh, and a ski edge can slice into that and it's all high pressure. Uh, the other thing too is sometimes the quality of the snow that we're making early season um, isn't the greatest because we still have to work it with grooming or we're laying down base and we're gonna cover it up with some uh, beautiful dry snow uh, in the up and coming days. So it's really not ready for consumption. And a lot of people don't understand it. The other thing is, you know, our snowmaking department uses snowmobiles at that time of year. We also have grooming machines that are transporting the staff. So there's a lot of activities going on early season. Um, so, and again, we don't want that encounter with Skinners. And I will say, you know, we're not here to say, hey, we don't want people to enjoy things, but we do need to make a, a safe environment uh, for individuals. So that's really why we put the restrictions on early season. And sometimes the trails aren't ready. You know, there's there's open water bars, um, there's hazards out there. And, you know, God forbid, if somebody does get injured, now I have to put a patroller up there. Uh, I'm putting that patroller at risk of injury because the snow has not been prepared properly and is not ready for that. So um, there's a lot of things going on, or maybe even the patrol isn't available and we have to you know, tone out the local resources of EMS. And now we've brought them into this. So uh, there's more and more uh, complexity to the situation. Yeah. And, you know, in, in general, when you're blowing early season, you don't have those ideal snow temperatures. The snow is going to be really sticky. And we know what we know what happens when you start to ski down with speed and hit wet snow. It's a disaster. Yeah, you know, right, so, obviously it's all based on skier behavior. Oh, cut out a little bit, Scott, but I think we're back. Um, all right, so going away from the uphill for a hot second, 
Um, next question is, uh, for early season snowmaking in general, how much snow do you need to blow to open a, a trail? How much time does it take to, from start to finish to make it happen? Um, talk to us about what you need for temperatures to make some really good snow. Well, the ideal temperature where you can actually start blowing something that looks white is about 28 degrees wet bulb. We use the wet bulb temperature, which is the ambient temperature and the relative humidity calculated. Now, 28 degrees will give you something that looks white and will start the process. Our ideal temperature that we like to see is really anything from 22 degrees to 18 degrees to get started. Um, we'd love to see consistent like 12 to 14 degrees. That's when we're really making a lot of snow and the quality um, is really good. And people say, well, isn't it better to be colder? But when you look at a snowmaking system, what you're trying to do is you're trying to max out your water demand and your air demand. And really our, our system's designed right between 12 and 14 degrees to be able to run the most amount of snow guns um, that we can and put out a quality product. Now, how much snow do we need to blow to open up a trail? So what we, what we use to calculate uh, snowmaking production is acre feet. So what we say is one, one acre, one foot of snow on it uh, calculates out to 200,000 gallons of water. So what we try to do is we try to put three feet of snow top to bottom on every trail. So based on the number of acres that a trail is, you can calculate the acre number of feet of snow that you need. So in our snowmaking production, I mean, we're talking about millions of gallons of water that we use on a nightly basis to start that process. So That's cool. That's great. And That's certainly, the, you know, the colder know the temperature is, the, the faster that we'll get to that. I didn't realize you had to lay down three feet top to bottom. That's honestly impressive. That's more than way more than I thought you were going to lay on down. So, all right. So, so Scott, once that snow is laid down, that, that, you know, brings us right into our next question, you know, for people that don't know, and you touched on this a little earlier, um, there's a lot that goes into grooming, maintaining, opening and closing these trails once they're ready to go on a daily basis. Uh, walk us through, you know, the procedure of, of what that takes, you know, in, in a typical day and evening shift uh, to get those trails ready for the next day. I'm sorry, Dave, you were a little broken up on that question. That, that's okay. I, I, I had asked... Um, you know, if you could walk us through basically in a 24-hour uh, scenario uh, what it takes to maintain, open and close the trail, regroom it, maybe do some patchwork. You know, the, av the average consumer or skier doesn't really know what it takes, um, you know, what you guys are doing behind the scenes. Walk us through that if you could. You know, sure. Uh, as I said before, so we run two shifts of grooming. They're eight hours. Uh, we have uh, two winch cats and we have six what we call fleet groomers. So depending on 
you know, the daily use, if it's a weekend day, you know, or a weekend, if we've just gone through a weekend day, uh, we've had high volume use, um, certainly to bring the surface back to uh, a nice groom surface is going to take some time. Uh, and then obviously, if there's been a weather event, if we've had, you know, maybe some uh, frozen precipitation and it's gotten colder, you know, there's different methods that we have to use. So it's really based on, you know, daily use and what we're seeing for weather patterns. But on a typical, you know, day when we've had good weather patterns, um, it's really making sure you have, you know, the six cats functioning uh, on both shifts and then winching on our uh, steeper terrain, getting that done and rebuilding. And then with the snowmaking process, once we have the initial, what we call um, first um, snow down, meaning that 100% of our snowmaking terrain is open, we'll go back and start to look at spring depths. And we actually have uh, equipment on our snowcats that allow us to see what the depth is uh, on each trail. And based on that data that we're collecting, we will focus in certain areas on building spring depths with snowmaking. And, uh, and that's where you'll see us running spot guns at night um, trying to beef things up because, again, we want to be able to close at the end uh, with a good amount of terrain if Mother Nature hasn't treated us nicely. So, huh. Interesting. Cool. Um, all right, back to the uphill aspect. Um, so what, do you, what does Stowe Mountain Resort need from the uphill community to kind of – gain a seat at the table to communicate um, with SMR about um, different, I don't want to say better because um, I think the uphill routes are good, but uh, different uphill routes. Cause I know I'm sure you're, you're aware as well. There are conversations and folks that are um, looking for different uphill routes. And uh, what do you need to see out of that uphill community to, like I said, get a seat at the table for that? Yeah, great question. So, you know, on November 9th, we are going to be hosting our annual uphill meeting uh, in which we, you know, encourage members of the uphill community to attend. And we'll be going over this year's program and um, go over the information there and how to access uh, our terrain and, you know, what the uphill routes are going to be. You know, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, open communication is always important. So, you know, contacting me um, and, you know, continuing the dialogue there. Um, so certainly on, you know, November 9th, we'd like to see uh, folks. And it's, I think it's going to be at the Toll House Conference Center, and that'll be from five to seven. So we encourage people uh, to do that. And, you know, really what we need from the uphill community right now is to follow the present program. And really, when we see good use of that and that people are following it, um, like I said, you know, we're, you know, we're always open minded. I'm not going to say we're going to, you know, change drastically, uh, but certainly, you know, we need to keep the dialogue open um, and moving forward. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I do think, yeah, going to that, uh, that meeting, like you said, is going to be huge for a lot of folks. And I think it's it's a tricky battle too, because you're always going to get some of those folks that are just simply unaware and uneducated of the policies and they're going to be the ones to break it. But I do think the more that we talk about it and, you know, us as a shop, we're going to try and promote those rules. And I think 
the more it just becomes um, second nature and common knowledge, um, the better that should get. Um, and I think it's only going to get better. And so hopefully we can uh, be on that track with you guys and, like I said, gain a seat at the table. And so we appreciate that. And Scott, you know, we've, we've been working with you um, with doing special schema events uh, in the past, and we're going to continue to do that again with another schema event this year. And I think we want to, what we want to try and do in particular with these podcasts is to spread the word to people on what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing, uh, especially when it comes to the uphill skinning policies that you guys have in place. And it's really important that the message out there is, you know, to the people that are breaking the rules is that, you know, for we've got more people that are abiding by the rules than we have people that are not, but it only takes one to really cause a problem. And this is a privilege that you're giving us. And uh, if we continue to have people that really don't play by the rules, this privilege could be taken away. And uh, we certainly don't want that to happen. And uh, I guess the message that I'm sending is, is, is that the more that people abide by the rules, the more opportunity we're going to have to potentially gain some traction with possibly more uphill or different routes in the future. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we are practicing what we're preaching. And that is um, going by the procedures that you have in place um, to provide a safe environment for both your workers uh, and for the people that are, that are going up the hill. So the message I want to send to everybody out there is let's just play by the rules, everyone. And if we can do that, um, we're going to have, you know, possibly a lot more that we can work with in the future. And, you know, on, on behalf of all of us, Scott, I just want to thank you and, and Stone Mountain Resort for giving us the opportunity to, to ski uphill. It is probably the only portion of the ski industry right now that, that is still showing growth. Uh, and I think that's going to continue for the future. And, um, we really appreciate you coming on board with us. I think this is just the start of a, of a great relationship moving forward. And uh, we couldn't be happier to, to be having these schemo events and obviously being able to ski uphill. It's a huge part of our business. And we just wanted to tip your hats to you and, and your staff and, and say thank you. Well, and th thank you for having me because I think Rob, the more that we can get the message out there and education, the better off we are. So I, I certainly appreciate, um, you know, this opportunity. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, that concludes another edition of Vermont Trail Chatter, again, brought to you by Mountain Ops. We, again, would like to thank Scott for... Uh, sharing a little bit of his time with us today. And we'll look forward to uh, presenting this podcast um, very soon, probably prior to your uh, gathering on Wednesday. So again, thanks again, Scott. We appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, Scott, you can do a uh, press stop recording there.